I trust we are trusting in that name and that power. looked for help and thought you found that help and turns out that it, it wasn't cracked up to what it was intended to be. I had an experience recently which was a real rude awakening for me. I was looking for for someone to do some work at the office and uh, the person uh, was recommended by uh, by someone else who was trusted. and. Um, person came and seemed to be pretty sincere, started out and uh, I never never came back. Uh, and uh, when I finally was able to contact him, uh, he said that he was sick, he had food poisoning and so on and so forth and when he get better he'd, he'd come, he'd call me, but I never heard from him. And um, so I, I, I looked for someone else and uh, got someone else and uh, that person came in and uh, looked at what needed to be done and said to me, you know, to be honest with you, I I don't think I want to do this. So uh, I asked his recommendation, he gave some recommendations, but I decided that I would go with someone else that I figured was more tried and more true. Someone that I had worked with before and who had, who had really came through. And I wonder how many times we find ourselves in that very same predicament. We, we look for help, we get the help, but either the help is not true or they're not tried. Or they're, they're neither. Well, there are a lot of people in our world today who are looking for help. There are a lot of people who are seeking help. And uh, all over the world this evening, especially here in the Bahamas and, uh, and our neighbors, the United States, there are people who are in need of help as a result of governments that are changing and systems that are changing and all kinds of things that are changing at rapid pace. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and instability. And, uh, and people are looking for help from those individuals that are supposed to be tried and true. As a result, of their strong need for help, many are at a loss, resulting in uh, anxiety and sorrow because they don't know where they could find the true and tried help that they really, really need. Well, I want to submit to us this evening as a body of Christ that regardless of what the case may be, God's redeemed people, as we are, can really consider ourselves safe, but not only safe, but strengthened in Him, in whom there's always enough help. In God, there's never a shortage of help. And uh, as we look at Psalm 46 tonight, we will note that it, it breeds calm confidence and triumphant trust in just about every verse. As we look at it, we'll see some things that encourages us, but also challenges us to be still and to know that our God reigns no matter what. And so the question that we are, we are challenged with tonight as we look at Psalm 46 
is do we have such confidence, such calm confidence and such trust? One of the things about Psalm 46, you turn to it in your Bibles, it'll be, the verse will be on the screen, but you can turn to it in your Bibles and follow along. Um, one of the things about Psalm 46 is, is that it is actually the psalm that inspired uh, the great reformer Martin Luther to write that soul-stirring battle hymn that we have sung for so many years, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he was, he was inspired as he read that, 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 that psalm over and over again. It continued to speak to him. And out of the ministry of that, that psalm came that mighty hymn that we so often sing and have been singing for such a long time. But, but what is really compelling about the psalm is that it's divided into three sections. And, uh, and each of those sections ends with that characteristic Old Testament word, the word that we find in scripture that always challenges us to make a response. It always challenges us at the end of a passage to think about and then respond to what we've read and what we've thought about in order to come about with some action that will bring about change in our lives. And we'll see that. Now, one of the things about this, this psalm is one of those psalms that, uh, actually Psalm 46 through 48, are uh, considered celebration hymns of praise because they were written to celebrate the delivery of the children of Israel from some tremendous enemies that had always plagued them. And so the occasion of this particular hymn, or this particular psalm, might have been written as a result of the invasion of Jerusalem by the Assyrian army as recorded in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 18 and 19. And so it's historical uh, in, in a sense. And, uh, and so when we look at, when we're looking for a tried and true help, where do we look? Do we go to friends and, uh, and, and ask for advice? Uh, do we pick up a book? An instructional book with those, those books called uh, Something for Dummies and This for Dummies and That for Dummies. Uh, they still write those, do they? I saw one the other day. Um, uh, Guitar for Dummies or something like that. But do we pick up one of those books? Where do we go for help? Where do we look for help? Do we go to help that is tried and true or do we go to, to someone who says, Oh, I know somebody who can help you. That person may have been tried and true to them, but they've not been tried and true to you. Will you take that chance? When we're looking for tried and true help, we should look and think and act in response, first of all, to the power of God. The power of God. We're familiar with what God is capable of doing because of what He's already done. But many times, God is the last person we would look to. God's power is the last power we resort to look to for help when we, when we need help that is tried and true. But if we look at the psalm, the psalm begins by saying, God is our what? Our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge, refuge is some place we can go for safety, isn't it? Well, Calvary Bible Church is a, is a refuge during hurricane season, isn't it? Because it's a secure facility. Whenever they are looking for hurricane shelters, they look for a place that is secure, that won't succumb to the, to the, to the rigors of the storm. 
And so when the, when the psalmist says, God is our refuge, he's talking about a, not an not a inferior wall, but a superior wall. He's talking about a, not a, a medium high tower, but a high tower. A tower that will restrict uh, individuals from coming in to attack. A high tower or, fort, or fortress. The writer of Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is what? A strong tower. Not a weak tower. It's a strong tower. And as a result of being a strong tower, the righteous run into it and what? They're safe. They don't think they're safe. They don't doubt whether they're they're safe or not. They know they're safe. And so the thought here is that in dangerous times or in difficult times, in times of hardship, in times of peril, the people of God can find God to be the only place where they can run for safety and know that they are safe. That's the whole idea behind the thought of God being our refuge. So the, the, the thought is, take a, take a sila, what we might call a sila, sila moment, and think about that for a minute. When you're in trouble, are you going to run to some place that is not stable? Or are you going to run to some place that is sound? When faced with danger, where do you run for safety? Where do you go? Is God really your refuge? You know, we, 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 we look at the scriptures sometimes, and we look at verses like this, and we say it because it sounds good. We say it because it makes us look good. But do we really believe that God really is our refuge? You know, we say a lot of things we don't believe and we sing a lot of things we don't believe. Uh, the story is told of a choir uh, that, that always sang these songs about the coming of the Lord. And one of the favorites was when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. And, uh, and so some boys, you know, boys can be really mysterious. And some boys decided that they were going to pull a, a little trick. And, uh, and so while the choir was singing one Sunday, and they were singing that song about the trumpet uh, blasting and the Lord calling his people home. Uh, and so someone decided, they decided they're going to blow a trumpet. And they blew a trumpet. And uh, the choir scattered. All of the members of the choir started running in different directions. And one of the choir members got his robe hooked on the bench. And uh, he turned around and says, Lord, I was only joking. So many times we sing these songs and we really don't believe what we sing. So the, the, the challenge is, do we really, really believe that God is our refuge? Or we just like to sing about it? But not only does he say that God is our refuge... He says, and our strength. Now the word strength here has a, has a number of implications to it. First of all, it can mean that God is the only source of strength for the frail and the feeble and the unprotected. Or it can mean that we can rely on God's strength as if it was our own strength. Or it can also mean that We can feel safe in his strength as if we possess such strength ourselves. And so there are a number of implications there with regards to this strength. But the question is, is God really your strength? 
Or when those times come when you need strength, do you rely on something else or someone else or something else? Is God really your strength? That's a question for another Selah moment. Something to think about. In fact, everything that the psalmist says here is to be taken at serious thought. And that's why that little word is at the end of the passage. God's power, the power of God. Three verses deal with the power of God. The first three verses. And at the end of those three verses, we have that little word, Selah. It means that we have to think, think seriously and determine a response to every single thing that the psalmist has said in those three verses. But notice he says, a very present help. Now why didn't he just say, he is a help? Why does he use the word very present help? Well, very suggests remarkably. God is a remarkable help. He's a, he's a help like no other help that we can ever get from anywhere else. But the word, the word, the word suggests remarkably as, as if to say definitely true. He's a remarkably or definitely true help. It's one that you could truly, you could really depend upon. He's a very, but then he also says present. He could have just said very, very good help. Present help means proven. He's a remarkably proven help or proven to be a good help. Of course, we know what the word help means. It means aid or it means assistance. Right? A very present help. When? When is God a very present help? When we don't really need it? He says he's a very present help when we're in trouble. And the word trouble covers anything and everything. Or it covers all that we could ever, all that could ever come upon us. That would give us reason to have anxiety or grief or sorrow or misery. Everything. He's a help, a present help. And so if you take another Selah moment and think about this, is God really your remarkably proven help in troubled times? Is he your remarkably true help in difficult times? Or you got another source, start somewhere else. It's something to think about. Because we say he is, but when difficulties come, he's the last person we think about going to. We think about somebody else who had that problem and, 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 and how they overcome it. And, and we're going to go to them and say, remember when you had that problem? How did you deal with it? It was like, like the little boy who had a donkey. And his donkey got sick. And he rem remembered that his, his uncle had a donkey. And so he called his donkey, uncle and he says, hey uncle, you, you, you had a donkey. What did you do when your donkey was sick? He said, I fed him turpentine. So he hung up the phone and went and gave his donkey turpentine. And his donkey died. So he got back on the phone screaming at his uncle and said, I thought you told me you fed your, 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 your donkey turpentine. He said, yeah, I did. He said, but I fed my donkey turpentine and he died. He said, yep, mine too. And many times we're just like that, aren't we? We never find out the end results of what happened to the person who went somewhere else for help. Until the same thing happens to us. And then we cry foul. Therefore, he says, 
Verse 2. Therefore, or for that reason, because God is a remarkably proven help in troubled times, we will not fear. We will not be afraid. Now that's if you believe that he is. If you trust that he is, then you will not be afraid. But we find that those who don't find that they're afraid anyway when troubles come. Fear can be very, very debilitating, couldn't it be? What happens when we're fearful? What happens to our bodies? When you're fearful, what is the first thing that happens? Hmm? You tremble, right? What else? You sweat. What else? What else? What happens to your knees? They get shaky. They get weak, right? They get. They, they feel like rubber. Well, that's fear. That's what fear does. Fear is debilitating to the extent that it could drain us of of all of our strength, every ounce of strength that we have. But having God as our refuge and strength means nothing for us to be fearful about at all. That's the difference. Because our confidence in God will make us stable, will enable us to be stable and abiding. Because our, our, our tried and true help comes from Him and not from any other source. Now, what possibly could one be afraid of? Well, the psalmist gives us some ideas here of what would cause one to be absolutely fearful and that we would have no reason to fear. He says, though the earth should change and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake in its swelling pride. You know, there are people who live in mountainous areas and, and areas that are, that, are, that are prone to earthquakes. And sometimes I wonder why people live in those areas. But we live in a hurricane-prone zone too, right? And they wonder sometimes how we, why we live in these areas. But there's a fear among people who live in such areas that uh, the cities and the, and the, and the mountains and uh, they, the places where they live and they have their, their dwelling places and where many of them live for all their lives will, will, will actually collapse into the sea as a result of some earthquake at some particular time. And that thought haunts a lot of people. Even today, as we speak, there are people who are haunted over that fact. Yet they still live there. But the psalmist says that even if, and we like to use that word if, even if the world will come to end, we still don't have any need, need to be fearful. Even if. But notice, the psalmist implies that even if we face complete destruction, he expressed calm confidence in God's ability to save him. Do we have that kind of trust? Do we have that kind of confidence that in the face of total destruction, if there's a possibility that we would be wiped out in a hurricane, or some people have been threatening for years that maybe a tsunami would hit the, hit the Bahamas and wipe us all out. Even if there's a possibility that that might happen, what would we do? Would we have the same kind of quiet confidence that the psalmist expresses here? 
He says, even if the, even if the earth is to be wiped out, he still believes in God's ability to save him. You know, it's almost unthinkable to think about, to consider the end of the world without becoming consumed with fear. Or we might say paranoid with fear. But the Bible is very, very clear that we have the assurance in the fact that God is our refuge. He is. Even in the middle of total destruction. You see, God is not just a, a short-term retreat. He is a long, he's an eternal refuge. He's not a quick fix for when troubled times come. He's an eternal refuge. And he can supply the strength that we need for any, any circumstance that we encounter. Our tried and true health is the power of God at work. Is what the psalmist is saying here. Do we depend upon that power? Do we think about that power? Do we rely upon that power? Do we put credence to that power? Do we put confidence in that power? Are we trusting in that power? That's what the psalmist is saying in these three verses. Our tried and true help comes through the power of God. Now is there any other power that is greater? It gives us the assurance that whenever we need help that is true and tried, we can depend upon God's power because it never ever fails. So take a Selah moment again. And think about an act in response to how your tried and true help comes or can come to the power of God by committing yourself to Him. Think about that. Think about the times when you were in trouble and you tried something else and it didn't work. And what could have happened if you really had tried or put your confidence in the power of God instead? But the psalmist goes on and challenges us that when we are looking for tried and true help, we should think about and act in response to the presence of God. The presence of God. He says in verse 4, there is a river. Now in Jerusalem, in the, in, around the city of Jerusalem, there were, there were many, many cities with, with rivers flowing through them. And those rivers served to sustain the people. Those rivers were vital. They were ex extremely important because they, they sustained many lives by making agriculture possible and building, allowing those cities to build uh, trade, trade routes with other, other cities in order that the people of other cities could be sustained as well. So the rivers were vital. Jerusalem, however, had no river. So what is the psalmist alluding to? What Jerusalem did have was God, who, like a river, sustained the lives of the people. And as long as God's presence was among the people, the city was unshakable. Well, this thing creaks. The city was unshakable. It was unconquerable. It was unbeatable. No one could touch it. As long as the people were depending upon God's presence as their tried and true help, they were safe. They were secure. The question is, are we depending upon God's presence as our tried and true help in difficult times? 
Are we conscious of his presence in tried and difficult times? The city was unshakable. For when the people deserted God and God's presence departed from them, then Jerusalem was cut down by the Assyrian army and all the other armies that were waiting in line to destroy Jerusalem. God's presence is like a full, smoothly flowing, fertilizing, never failing river, giving a fresh pick-me-up. We all need a pick-me-up every now and then, don't we? Well, God's river, God was like a river, giving that kind of pick-me-up and comfort to believers whenever it was needed. And this means that in times of, of trials of any sort, regardless of what difficulties the child of God faces, God's river of all sufficient grace continues to flow and give them the enabling to endure to the end of whatever they're facing, whatever they're going through. God's river of grace continues to provide the source. And so the point is, everything that a river is to an ordinary city, God is to his holy habitation. And that's us. We are God's holy habitation. And God is everything that we need. But not only that, he's a whole lot more. He's also the fountain of life and refreshment. He's also the river of mercy and goodness. We can depend upon the mercies of God. We can depend upon the goodness of God. Because he's a fountain that those things ever flows from. Mom, okay? But notice, the verse goes on. Whose streams make glad the city of God. Who is this city or what is this city? Obviously, it's those who make up the body of Christ. Those who make up the church. They're God's city because God designed them. God built them. God elected them. God purchased them. God indwells them. And as a result, they are dedicated to his praise. And glorified by his presence. He says the holy dwelling places of the most high. Jerusalem had an extraordinary joy and glory. And privilege. Of having within her walls a place. Where God revealed himself. And this, was the, this is also a choice privilege of the saint today. You and I have that choice privilege. Where God dwells within us. Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's a, it ought to be a great delight for each of us to have that privilege. But it's also the highest delight for those who make up the church to exist in a corporate capacity. And that is all of us joined together, the Ecclesia of God joining together. Harboring the presence of God so that he is indeed able to provide the kind of help that we need. And so to provide the presence of the Most High, lodging within our members is to make the church on earth just like the church in heaven. The church visible just like the church universal or the church invisible. But then the psalmist goes on. And, 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 and the question arises, how close is God to his saints when they're in trouble? How close is God 
when we are going through difficult times? How close is God when those who are in, in mission fields are being martyred? When they are suffering? When they are being afflicted? When they are being attacked? How close is God? Verse 12, verse 5 tells us, God is in the midst of her. And as a result, they can take comfort in the fact that God is truly very near. Do we have that confidence? Do we have that comfort? Do we have that sense when troubled times come that God is extremely near? Or do we feel that he's distant and we need to be, uh, we need to go before him and repeat the same thing over and over to get his attention? He is in, God is in the midst of her, he says. And as a result, she will not be moved. How can our enemies move her unless they move her Lord also? And how can they move a Lord who is so powerful? His presence makes all hope of demolishing the city absolutely ridiculous. And that's what the psalmist is implying here. That's what he's saying. In other words, because the Lord is in the vessel, the vessel cannot be wrecked. Remember when the disciples were on the ship and the, and the storm came up? And their whole lives turned to chaos. They were crying and all. Boy, it would have been amazing to see those grown men carrying on so bad. But Jesus looked at them and he says, where was your faith? He could have very well said to them, do you think that this ship is going to be destroyed with me on it? Well, we need to take note of the fact that as members of the incredible body of Christ, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is on board. For each of us, he's on board. And the ship cannot be wrecked with the Lord on board. God will help her when morning dawns, the psalmist says. At the crack of dawn. In other words, God's outstretched arms will be there to protect, to preserve, to keep. Will be out there to, to move and to work on behalf of his people. And interestingly, even when we are slow to meet with God or to come to him, or to move in obedience. He is never, ever, ever late in helping us. You see, we could, we could read the word of God and know what God wants us to do clearly and not do it. And drag our feet when it comes to obeying what the word of God says. We could look at the word of God and see Selah at the end of it and know exactly what God is telling us to do. And uh, because we don't want to, we drag our feet. But that's not going to minimize God's response to us in our times of need. We may delay, but God never does. We can take comfort in the fact that His presence will be there with us when we need help that is tried and true. And even though there are times when impatience always complains about divine delays. The, the Lord is never slack concerning his promises. You see, the hastiness of man is, is foolishness. Or it's a, it's a result of foolishness. But God's apparent delays are always wise. And when we view them or when we look at them in the right way, we finally come to the conclusion, the conclusion that there are actually no delays at all. It's just simply us who are impatient. But God's presence gives us the assurance, all of the assurance that we need. 
But then he goes on, he says in verse 6, the nations made an uproar. In other words, the nations erupted in fury, in anger. The kingdom started. Mass confusion gripped the social order of the day. Throwing everything into chaos. But then look at the, the, what, the, the, the next verse. Next words. He, that is God, raised his voice. And what happened? The earth melted. With nothing more than a simple word of his mouth, the Lord ruled the storm. Same thing Jesus did on the ship when the disciples were afraid that the ship was going to be wrecked. He simply spoke and the storm was calm. Same thing here. God spoke. The earth melted. The most solid and substantial of human things melted like wax. Melted like the fat on the altar of an Old, Test Old Testament sacrifice. How powerful God's word is. Think about what if that word were to come today? What would become if the excellence of the glory of God's word were to come, were to be revealed today like it was in that storm? What would happen? It would melt all the hearts around us in love for Jesus. All those Jesus haters would come to love Jesus. All the persecutions, wars, and rebellions of men, they would all cease. If that word would become as forceful today as we see it in this passage, where the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, he says. The Lord's, pre the Lord's presence was the reason for Zion's security. It's also the reason for all of the, all of the enemies being defeated. His presence. His presence means the same thing for us today. When we rely on God's presence, when we acknowledge His presence as the tried and true help that we need in those times when we need it, the same thing can happen. We have absolute security. Our sovereign Lord rules. He rules the angels. He rules the constellations. He rules the elements. He uses the host of heaven. He rules the heaven of heavens. And that's who we have in our midst. That's who we have in those times where we need help. That kind of help is tried and true. We don't have to speculate about it. We don't have to, we don't have to be like this. We, we hire someone to do a job and, and uh, we wonder if they're going to do a good job. I remember one of my bosses got a fellow to, to redo some chairs. And, um, and she said to me, do you think he's going to do a good job? I mean, he was recommended. He came highly recommended. And he charged a pretty penny, too. But she was still worried. She was still worried. Do you think he's going to do a good job? And that's what, that's what happens when we depend upon help that is not tried and true. That's what happens when we depend upon help that is not of the Lord. And so, if we take another sila moment and think about and, and act in response to how your tried and true help comes from the presence of God, I'm sure you will come up with some astounding answers in your own experience. But when we're looking for tried and true help, 
We should think about an act in response to also not just the power of God and the presence of God, but also the peace of God. Verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. Considering God's works is one way of applying the peace of God in relation to a tried and true help in our lives. Think about it, especially when we read history. In fact, when we read history, we should think about the presence of God and how he moves and works in history. We should also read the newspapers in the same spirit to see how the head of the church ruled the nations for the good of his people in the same way that, that Joseph governed Egypt for the good of his own people. You see, when God sent Joseph to Egypt, no one ever knew that he would be the kind of help for his own people. That he was. And this is how God works. Notice he says, has wrought desolations in the earth. Who has wrought desolations in the earth? You see, God has a way of destroying the destroyers and desolating the desolators. And as a result of it, we can have peace in him as our true and tried help. Now one of the things that we need to consider as we look at these verses is that is the impact of these verses has, a, has, has been seen over and over again in the scriptures, in the ruin of many, many kingdoms who have come out against God. We see it in the ruin of Assyria and Babylon and Petra and Bashan and Canaan. And for us, this is a record of God's doings to teach us how much we can really depend upon the peace of God in dire circumstances. You see, when things are really bad, the last thing on our minds is the peace of God. But God works in those circumstances more than we can ever imagine, no matter what happens. It's also a reminder that wherever God's cause and crown have been ignored, ruin is certain to follow. And so we have a record here of that. We are reminded of that. But then verse 9 says, He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. God as a tried and true help quiets the commotion of war. And this doesn't necessarily have to be war as we know it with men on the battlefield, but it could mean war in personal relationships, in our individual lives. God is able to calm those storms. Perhaps you're going through something with someone uh, in your workplace or your neighbor. You're probably having a war with your neighbor. A war with somebody on the job. Well, God has a way of calming or quieting the commotion of those wars as well. And making silence of peace. He breaks the bow, the psalmist says. In other words, he makes the bow useless. But he also cuts the spear in two. That intimidating lance that was used so many times. Just the sight of it brought fear in the hearts and minds of individuals. And God, the psalmist says, snaps it like a twig. That is intended to tell us how peaceful we could be in the midst of turmoil. See, the peace is the last thing we think about in turmoil. When that riot broke out in Baintown the other day, nobody was thinking about peace. For the, for the person who trusted God, they had no qualms about peace. 
in that kind of environment. Moreover, it says he burns the chariot with fire. The chariot has been known as one of those pompous, death-dealing instruments that brought fear in the hearts and minds of many because of how they used them. The Bible tells us here that God tosses them into the flames like a piece of rag. That is intended to allow us to have peace in the midst of turmoil. So the psalmist is saying every weapons of every kind he piles into heaps and burns them, completely destroys them. And this is just a glimpse of the glorious victory, the final victory that the Lord Jesus Christ will bring in the day of his appearing. It gives us a, a, just a glimpse of it. Now isn't that something to bring peace in our heart? When we think that this is descriptive of what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He's going to annihilate the enemy. The day of his appearing will bring peace. But it will also bring the destruction of every enemy. They will be beaten into the dust before they bite the dust. That's what he's going to do with them. Look at verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. He's talking to two groups of people here. He's talking to the enemies and then he's talking to the believer. To the believers, to the, to the enemies, he says, keep your hands to yourself. Cease striving. Stop fighting. Keep your hands to yourself. Hands off. Is what he's saying. To the believer, he said, sit down. Wait patiently and recognize Jehovah God as your very personal tried and true help. Are we heeding? Is the enemy heeding? Notice that I will be exalted among the nations. Even though some had forgotten God and worshipped idols, God will still be honored by them eventually. Remember the Bible tells us that every there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is a reminder that the, also that the forecast of missions is as bright as the promises of God. And a reminder or an encouragement that we ought not lose heart when it comes to missions. He says, I will be exalted in the earth. Regardless of what the wicked, regardless of what the wicked do, does, or, or regardless of their, their wickedness or degradation, or what it would have been, people everywhere will exalt God at that particular time. Either by terror or by love, God will subdue all hearts to him. Isn't that give us, doesn't that give us peace in the midst of turmoil? The whole earth will reflect the light of his majesty. It's a day that we can all anticipate and look forward to. War and destruction are to be expected. It's been since time and memorial. But so is God's victory. It is certain. At that time, every soul will stand quietly before the all-powerful God. No excuses. 
No reason, nothing to say. And so how appropriate then it is for us to be still now by respectfully honoring him and his power and his majesty as our tried and true help. And it's something that we should take a moment to do each and every single day. That God gives us breath on this earth. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And this is the truth that no believer should ever get tired of hearing. Should never get tired of declaring or hearing declared. And yet it's a fact that it's too often forgotten by many. Even though we, we, we enjoy the mercies of God over and over again. It is also a precious privilege which cannot be too often considered. Something that we ought to take a seal out moment and think about. Is the Lord on your side as your tried and true help? Is Emmanuel, God with us, really your Redeemer? Because you're dependent on Him and you're trusting in Him? Is there a covenant between you and God as it was a covenant between God and Jacob? Are you trusting Him? Are you willing to make this psalm of quiet confidence and triumphant trust your personal psalm? Many have. And they have taken great comfort in it. The psalm is a simple meaning and a joyous expression that we can take hold of. So take a final Selah moment this evening before we leave here and think about and act in response to how your tried and true help comes through or can come through for you if you let him as the God of power, as the God of presence, and as the God of peace. He can be all of that to each of us, but only if we let him. Remember, it's been said that, that our Lord is a tremendous gentleman. He will never, ever force his way or his will on us. It's really up to us. If we really want help that is tried, that has been proven, help that is true, that is faithful, help that we can trust in, then he gives us what is needed to have it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the confidence and the trust that we have in the words that we have heard this evening. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as we leave here today, we may truly ponder not what has all that has been said verbally and audibly, but most especially what has been spoken in that still small voice in each of our hearts. For indeed, many of us have heard some things that all of us did not hear. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that we may indeed leave here with a response in our hearts to act and respond to what you have said in that still small voice. 
Be pleased now, Lord, to separate us with your blessed benediction as we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and make you a blessing to him as we go.